0: Stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. Oh, are we recording?
1: We are Hello. now. Hello, everybody.
0: <laughs> I just wanted to come in a little earlier today. Yeah, I liked
1: it. Liked, it was a good idea. Thank you. It was you. a good thought. Thank you. As some of the soccer you, you people I know would say. really quickly. it's so. a good thought. Welcome, everybody. We're back.
0: Hello, welcome to the Long Road Home. I'm Emily,
1: and I'm Chad, and we're back from our break. We are. It was we're a, rested and yeah, we're ready. We are. It was, an, uh, it was a planned break that we totally forgot about. Uh, yeah, it was a nice surprise that it, we planned yeah, that for ourselves. It really honestly. was. We're reju- re- uh, rejuven- rejuvenated, and yeah. we're back though, yeah. and we're excited to bring you another wonderful episode. We really hope that Thanksgiving treated you kindly. Maybe you went shopping on Black Friday. We hope that you're all right, that maybe the wounds you suffered during your shopping experience have healed and you've survived round one of the holiday season. Hope Round you, one. Hope you've iced your, your bruises and you're ready for round two because it's you're coming. Up.
0: It's coming.
1: It's coming. I hope you're ready.
0: What are you guys doing to get ready? Um, or what are you guys doing to celebrate this year? I would love to hear from you about your ideas. I've had some fun decorating our home this year.
1: Yeah, she's doing a great job. <laughs>
0: Thank you. I wasn't fishing, but I'll take it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this year I've been... um Wanting to decorate the home all natural with with natural elements, so I've been hiking and collecting branches that I've found along the way, and I went to a local Christmas tree farm and bought some clippings, and I've been wiring it all together and decorating the house. Um, if you guys are interested in tips and tricks on how to do that, you should join our Patreon because we got some cool content going on over there.
1: Yeah, we do, and Emma's going to be throwing up all her cool recipes and decorations and tips and stuff on there.
0: Yeah, tips and tricks and. You'll see what else. Come, come join us. Speaking of uh, Patreon and Discord, though, um, I've been throwing up some fun stories on there as well this week.
1: Yeah, she's got a lot of... She's been... She is on TikTok a lot more than I'm really even on my phone And so she's been seeing all sorts of crazy videos on TikTok of like wild alien footage, UFOs, UAPs. Yeah, y'all
0: don't give me a hard time about being on TikTok. I'm still young and I'm hip and I'm with it. And honestly, I freaking love it.
1: (laughs) TikTok is a great representation of like America. And I got to say... We're not doing well.
0: It's a fun time. It's, <laughs> it's, a, fun fun time. Time. <laughs> it's a fun time. <laughs> you you went a different way America's with that. America's not you okay. A different way with that. I was already ready to say it's fun. Yeah, you know, I mean it depends on what you're looking for. Your algorithm kind of gets aligned to what you're looking for. And for me, you guys know, I like UFOs and cryptids and weird stuff, so it's the universe and and the TikTok gods are just feeding it to me. So I found some pretty cool um ufo sightings recently that i'm going to share in our discord maybe we'll throw them up on insta as well
1: yeah definitely they're, they're actually really cool i just saw one and i was like what the fuck
0: is dude, this dude that was so crazy so there's one uh sighting that happened last week right over um the pyramids and it's uh excuse me the pyramids of giza uh, i don't know should i, I, I know. specify the pyramids no, you think... know which one i'm talking about i know there's <laughs> technically others no but i feel like people get it yeah um yeah, so it looks like there's like this one main orb kind of floating over over the pyramids, and then it kind of breaks up. And it doesn't look like a meteor. It doesn't look like a satellite. It doesn't look it's like a paper lantern. Shaped. Yeah, it's very differently shaped. Um, so we'll throw it up and tell us what you guys think. I'd yeah, be, I'd be if curious. You, if you know to what know. we're talking
1: about, and you've seen it. Email us and let us know, because I'm very curious as about what it, what it could have been if it, if it was some sort of an anomaly. I would like to know what it was.
0: I have not found any theories that I bought just yet. But um, yeah, if you have out. some, throw them away. Yeah, yeah, you know, in the comments and stuff. I, yeah. I, I, I it's a like Russians. I like to read a communist the comments. It's
1: communists. left is coming to take our take our children.
0: Well, the, interestingly enough, there was, um, did you see that, oh my God, who was it that just collected moon dust or meteorite, meteorite dust?
1: It wasn't like Mike Pence?
0: No, 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 no.
1: Mike Pence doesn't collect moon dust?
0: What? Why would Mike Pence collect moon dust? He, <laughs> he's not with it. Golly, it was just recently- Hang on, one second. Mike Pence is, is, is with
1: it as those jello molds that people used to make.
0: So it was Japan. Uh, Japan had a capsule come down from the spacecraft hey uh busa 2 released the small capsule of meteorite dust on saturday and sent it toward the earth to deliver samples um however that landed in australia and it was on a completely different day than the sighting so that was the only thing that i could find that was like happening in the air and in space that day or around that time but it was a totally different day that's also kind of interesting is that japan now has meteorite dust
1: they got robots they got everything.
0: We were planning on bringing it back in 2030, I think, and they just totally beat us to the punch. Well, alright anyway, then. Anyway, I'm like totally into it, into all the space news. If you guys join our Patreon, five dollars a month gets you into our Discord. Please come and chat with me, cause I'm um, kind of just talking all alone in the Discord right now.
1: Yeah, we're, uh, you know, I'm used to talking into the void. I was radio host for a number of years. I don't know if anyone ever heard a single show that I played, but. We I don't mind it, but I do enjoy conversation. Yeah, we that's all do. I'm
0: saying is I just want I just want someone to get as excited about this as I am. Yeah. Other exactly. than you.
1: Exa- yeah, we're we're in it together. Anyway. Anyway, today, sorry,
0: long winded way we, of introducing the <laughs> podcast today. Sorry.
1: Today we're actually going to be talking about something a little closer to home. Yeah, a
0: little more down to earth. Yeah,
1: if you live in like <laughs> uh Asia. So today, we are talking about the Yeti, everybody. We're getting into the winter season. We're going to be taking on some chilly topics. (laughs) This is our first. So in 1958, a pair of loggers claimed to have seen a giant bipedal ape in the mountains of California. The sighting and the subsequent film, now known as the Patterson-Gimlin film, have sparked rumors and sightings of Sasquatch all across the country. Avid Bigfoot hunters would have you believe that the mountains of the Pacific Northwest, along with some other areas of the United States, are full of Sasquatch colonies. Unfortunately for those people, evidence is scant and eyewitness testimony alone isn't enough to verify their existence. While we argue amongst ourselves about whether or not this cryptid exists, the distant cousin of Sasquatch sits high in the snowy alpine. Today, <laughs> we are talking about that quiet cousin, the Yeti.
0: I like that visual that we're all just standing around here going, is Bigfoot real? I don't know. Yeah. What about this? Really, what about that? We and got a way
1: just, bigger problem.
0: He, right, he's just looking over a mountaintop watching us. Like the Grinch. <laughs> yeah.
1: The Yeti is, like Bigfoot, a large bipedal ape. Unlike Bigfoot, however, the Yeti prefers cold, high-altitude climates. It is described as a stocky, ape-like creature with a distinctly human quality, about the height of a young boy with short, coarse, reddish-brown hair, a pointy, crowned, conical head, a wide mouth, large teeth, very long arms, and no tail. Peaceful creatures, they are said to live in dense Himalayan rhododendron forests at elevations of 15 to 18,000 feet leaving their famous tracks when they cross the mountains from valley to valley. Some Yeti enthusiasts break down the Yeti into three distinct groups. Now,
0: that's what I was going to say, because I I had read that there were different sized Yetis, that there might be some the height of a young boy, but that there were some that were larger than that as well. Yes, there
1: are. So this is, uh, some people like to break them into these groups. And so there are small Yetis that stand around three foot to four and a half feet called teima. So those are the smallest ones. The little tiny ones you could just pick them up hug them if they, if they weren't throwing rocks at you the largest of the yeti species is known as the zoote and i did not <laughs> look this up how to pronounce it, it i think it's me, yalmo i think yalmo uh the big yeti feeds on gex mountain sheep and even people uh that's what the, they claim anyway but then at the same time you see that they're a peaceful species of ape so
0: but yeah do you like my note in there
1: <laughs> yeah dude she put a note and said really question mark uh
0: so, just to give you guys a little insight on how this goes down, uh, we typically like to do our research separately and then to come together and share what we've learned. So, we do that in one shared Google Doc. So, sometimes yeah. we'll find a rogue note. Um, yep. This was one of those. We times. like to have fun. We have fun. We have fun.
1: <laughs> the Zute is the smaller of the two larger Yetis. The Yelmo is said to stand 13 to 20 feet high, although, Bernard. Hoevelmans, the father of cryptozoology, believes that this species may actually have been created around the myth that yetis get bigger the higher one climbs. I don't know why someone thought that, and they just were like, hey, check this out. It's one of the Sherpas hanging out with one of those English expeditions. Like, I heard they were talking to their buddy beside the Englishman. I heard that the yetis get bigger as you climb, and the Englishman picked it up, and he went back to England. He told everyone. Well,
0: it was probably to keep the Englishman from climbing any higher.
1: Yeah, it's where we keep the good <laughs> they stuff. Get even,
0: they, get, they get even bigger. When you get up there. Yeah, you so don't want to there, go up some, there. Not only is it like terrifying heights and, you know, tumultuous terrain, but also there's a giant fucking Yeti. Yeah, the and there's
1: definitely not really, really good Sherpa drugs up there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's how it went down.
1: The second largest group, so kind of in between, the Mete, is considered to be the true Yeti and the focus of our discussion today. So before we go any further, I'd like to acknowledge our sources. We have blognature.org bbc.com, nationalgeographic.com, mentalfloss.com, satelliteinternet.com, and cryptidarchives.fandom.com. Do you have any more?
0: I also used earthstories.com.
1: Great. So these lists are getting more concise. I'm proud of us for remembering to do it this time. woo Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to start off talking about just the name Yeti. The name Yeti appears to be translated in several different ways. I've seen it translated into something like that thing, rock animal, or some sort of primordial being. The two pieces of the word ye and te are often given different meanings. The yeti itself is referred to as the wild man of the snow by the Sherpa people of Nepal. Various religions across the region had some form of snow god or god of the hunt that is said to resemble some sort of glacial wild man. So, for a time, many cryptozoologists referred to the creature as the abominable snowman. Although, this has fallen out of favor these days. The term, I don't know why. Well, it's not PC, bro.
0: <laughs> You're right. It's not PC. It's the, pretty
1: mean. <laughs> it is. It's not. It's, it's rude. The term abominable snowman originated in a mistranslation of the name Mete in 1921. During an expedition to Everest in that year, Sherpa guides working for Lieutenant Colonel C.K. Howard Berry identified some large footprints as those of a Meto kang, Kangmi, as Howard Berry wrote it. So I would definitely mispronounce this as well or mistranslate it. I can't even say it right. This was composed of two Sherpa words, mete, meaning man like thing that is not a man or man sized wild creature, and Kangmi or snow creature, that is only a generic term. The linguistics are absolutely that is so interesting to me.
0: It's it's like it the Creole so and the deep. Voodoo.
1: It's so cool. I love learning about like old, old language and just to see how far back can I can take it yeah. when I'm doing my research. When journalist Henry Newman wrote up the story for the Calcutta Statesman, he rendered the name Mech Kangmi and stated that it was a Tibetan word meaning abominable snowman in reference to the creature's purported strong smell. He completely made it up. It, like, what the smelly part has nothing to do with any of the statements that he's made.
0: Yeah, where did you get that from, man? So you got to
1: get those clicks, especially back then. <laughs> back then,
0: that's what he was doing. He yeah, to get the views.
1: Exactly. In 1832, James Princep's Journal of the Asiatic Society of Bengal published Trekker B.H. Hodgson's Hodgson's account of his experiences in northern Nepal. His local guides spotted a tall, bipedal creature covered with long, dark hair, which seemed to flee in fear. Hodgson concluded that it was an orangutan. Oh, okay. And this is something that I didn't even thought about can you imagine and they, like I was on like Wikipedia looking at something and there was a drawing of an orangutan attacking a group of men and the orangutan has the guy's spear in one hand and he's got his other hand on like his other arm and he's just biting him oh. I couldn't imagine how scary an orangutan attack would be I didn't even think I about that I would
0: imagine they could get pretty vicious if they wanted to they would just oh yeah Although they, I think they, 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 they could
1: pick sweet. me up and just I mean I'm 180 pounds they just rip me in half uh, <laughs> big apes are very scary don't mess with them
0: Right. Also don't amazing test creatures. The yeah, don't test the Yeti, but we're going to find that he's a little, he, he's kind at heart.
1: Yeah, he's uh, unlike the orangutan, who's full of hate. <laughs> An early record of reported footprints appeared in 1899 in Lawrence Waddle's Among the Himalayas. Waddle reported his guide's description of a large ape-like creature that left the prints, which Waddle thought were made by a bear. Waddle heard stories of bipedal ape-like creatures but wrote that none, however, of the many Tibetans I have interrogated on this subject could ever give me an authentic case. On the most superficial investigation, it always resolved into something that somebody heard tell of. Now, as we move into the 20th century, the frequency of reports seemed to increase That is due to the fact that Westerners began making determined attempts to scale the many mountains in the Himalayas and occasionally reported seeing odd creatures or strange tracks. So a bunch of people that weren't familiar with the area came in and started seeing stuff that they obviously had never seen before. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a yeti. It's a yeti. It's like, I mean, they heard it in all these articles and- uh, papers and stuff before they got there and so when you see something I mean obviously that that's where your mom's going to immediately go
0: oh yeah I mean can you blame them how many times have you like gone on an adventure and you're hiking through the woods and you think like you want to see something cool and magical and so you just you kind of start to you pick do. up on it and you right? Do. you do it just happens yeah and these Eng- you get big, excited
1: fancy English dudes are around. I say Quincy look at that large <laughs> that large tan man over there
0: well that's a yeti that's
1: a I say I say robot that's a yeti. Is that a good English accent?
0: Hey, I don't think it was English, but I think it was the right time period. <laughs>
1: hey, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's uh, definitely not English. No, exist. no, no. No, it's okay. like
0: it's not. You're just thinking- <laughs>
1: Not it. I'll take my You're emmy now. So Thank wrong. you. Thank you. <laughs> in 1925, in a I love these old English names. It's always like PT Bonnaby,
0: <laughs> yeah. CQ Talibah,
1: uh, in 1925. N. A. Tambazi, a photographer and member of the Royal Geographical Society, writes that he saw a creature at about 15,000 feet near Zemu Glacier. Tambazi later wrote that he observed the creature from about 200 to 300 yards away from him for about a minute. He's quoted as saying, Unquestionably, the figure in the outline was exactly like a human being, walking upright and stopping occasionally to pull at some dwarf rhododendron bushes. It showed up dark against the snow, and as far as I could make out, wore no clothes. At about, thank you. Yes, well done. More (laughs) Emmys, please. About two hours later, Tombazi and his companions descended the mountain and saw the creature's prints described as, quote, similar in shape to those of a man, but only six to seven inches long by four inches wide. The prints were undoubtedly those of a biped.
0: Hmm. So small.
1: Yeah, so this might have been one of the small yetis that they observed, right?
0: Right? Is that small is that small? Uh. You use the word only.
1: Yeah, he used only. So I'm. Yeah, six, six to seven inch inches long. long.
0: Okay, long. Yeah, so that's small. I was doing it the opposite way, and that. Oh. Still doesn't, It's <laughs> still small. It's all very. It's okay. You don't have to say about small Map feet. Is hard.
1: Later, Peter Byrne reported finding a yeti footprint in 1948 in northern Sikkim, India, near the Zimu Glacier, as well, while on holiday from a Royal Air Force assignment in India. There was another sighting in 1940, although it was not reported until 1956 in a book called *The Long Walk*, written by the observer Slawomir Rais. I didn't work on any of these names. <laughs> I that's should have a, done that's that a probably. Mouthful. Yeah,
0: Slawomir.
1: Slawomir, just yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I think
0: that's gonna sound like an X.
1: Yeah, could be. I'm not gonna say anymore.
0: Okay, <laughs> you did good. So okay.
1: he says that as he and some others were crossing the Himalayas in the winter of 1940, their path was blocked for hours by two bipedal animals that were doing seemingly nothing but shuffling around in the snow. So we That's have an a couple visual, of strange. Yeah, it is very weird. Just like Just
0: like I'm not going any further because I'm not getting I'm not getting in their way. All these Sherpa drugs also- are kicking in, man. You that's the second time you've said <laughs> Sherpa drugs. Do you really think that there's Sherpas are wonderful people
1: and drugs. they work really hard and I really appreciate all their efforts. I'm just uh, kidding around. I think Yeti's would enjoy them though. Yes. Um you know they'd be sharing.
0: You think Yeti's or Sherpas would enjoy them?
1: I think they would get along well and trade each other many things. Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. So they're having a party. Yeah, uh, they're high altitude people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. They're uh, living that high life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, it's really terrible. I know it's okay.
1: oh my God! Now the story really begins in nineteen fifty one a British explorer named Eric Shipton, looking for an alternative route up to Mount Everest, found a footprint that appeared to be hominid.
0: And I'm just going to say, when you say the story really begins, you mean the Western tales of the Yeti. Yeah
1: it, begin? yeah, it really starts to spread into the world at this point because of Eric Shipton. Um, Shipton himself was a prolific mountaineer. Born in Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, in 1907, Shipton was moved to London with his mother at the age of eight after the death of his father. At 16, he toured the country of Norway with a friend and very soon after began to take a serious interest in the mountains. I just can't, like, fathom that you could just do that back then. Like, I'm 16, I'm going to go be a mountaineer now. Goodbye, mother.
0: Yeah, Um, right? Not with the helicopter parents we see these days.
1: His list of accomplishments and summits is extremely impressive, and it goes without saying that Eric Shipton was a well-respected member of the mountaineering community. Thus, the photograph he took of the footprints was taken very seriously. So, like I said, after he took that photograph, he was a respected member of a very extreme community. They really believed that he had seen a footprint in the snow. And that's when really steam started to get underneath the story of the Yeti to the Western world. Uh, and this
0: is like the photo, right? You're yeah, like this to.
1: is this is there was a photo from like the 30s right. as well, but it didn't seem to really just like garner the attention that his did. And I think it's because of who Eric Shipton was. Um And it's really weird because this is such a cool story to me because you run into these like very famous mountaineering figures with the story of the Yeti because there's not a lot of people that go up to these places. And so they were the ones that were making the claims that they were going to like, they would look for him while they were up there, they found something strange or something like that for a really long time, so it's really cool to me. Daniel Taylor, the Getty researcher interviewed in the National Geographic article we've referenced, had this to say about Eric Shipton's photos. What was captivating about the prints was that they're really sharp. The snow is hard, so the photo looks like a sort of plaster of Paris cast. The second feature was that the prints looked like a human footprint but with a thumb so you get this primate-like feeling, but hominid at the same time. Its enormous size, 13 inches, also suggests a magnificent hominid, a King Kong type of image. And like we said, the media grabbed that and ran with it. And Daniel Taylor is a very interesting character in himself. Like I said, all of these people are very interesting to me, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later. Cool. So, in 1953, we run into yet another famous mountaineering duo, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tinzig Norgay. They reported seeing large footprints while scaling Mount Everest. Oh, cool. Yeah. uh, Hillary would later discount Yeti reports as unreliable, though. But in his first autobiography, Tenzing Tenzing said that he believed the Yeti was a large ape. And although he had never seen it himself, his father had seen one twice. But in his second autobiography, he said he had become much more skeptical about its existence.
0: Aw, that happens with age.
1: It does. Um... Really interesting, though, Sir Edmund Hillary would later, when asked about the Yeti, would say that we don't need to be looking for the Yeti, but we need to be doing research about people living at high altitudes, which is something that we don't really hear about a lot, and there's not a lot of research done about living at altitude, and we learned that while we were living at 10,000 feet in Colorado.
0: I've been saying it for years. It, it definitely messes with you in it a way does. that we-
1: It really does. Um,
0: are not really clear on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the fact that so many people are living – I mean, it's not – here's the thing. It's really not so, so many people that are living in high altitudes. It's smaller communities that are up there. Yeah. But these communities are growing, and we don't know the long-term effects of living at that high of an elevation um, and, like, what they have – what those effects have on the body. But, yeah, so it actually – what happens is at least what I am aware of is that when you're sleeping, um, because the oxygen levels are lower, you're not getting as much oxygen intake when you're resting. um, And so then it actually affects your serotonin levels. And so you see a lot of people become really depressed at those high elevations. And that's just a very, very recent study that was conducted in Nepal a few years ago. So yeah, I'd be curious to see what else comes of that.
1: I really think that it's, it's hard to live in a climate like that unless you were born there. Oh, I'm convinced after moving to one like that, and I was like, this is terrible.
0: <laughs> right, and there are people that, that have grown in those, grown up in those areas, and I think that they can totally handle it. Yeah. They're not going to be affected by it, but mm-hmm. if you're moving into an area like that, you Get need ready. to be prepared. Yeah, the altitude sickness doesn't just go away after a few days. There's, I think there's more to it than that.
1: Yeah, our old ski school boss said, you do things faster, but it never gets easier.
0: Ain't that the truth.
1: So- Beginning in 1957, a gentleman named Tom Slick funded a few missions to investigate Yeti reports. So Tom Slick is yet another super interesting, affluent character in the story. So his father discovered Oklahoma's then largest oil field, the Cushing Oil Field, in the Oklahoma oil boom of 1910. So Tom Slick was an oil business heir. But not only was he that, he was an adventurer. And he tuned his attention to expeditions to investigate the Loch Ness Monster... Bigfoot, the Trinity Alps giant salamander, and like we said, the Yeti. He had a huge interest in cryptozoology, which is absolutely crazy to me. He also knew a uh, prominent filmmaker, Howard Hughes, and was somehow involved in the CIA. I didn't look a lot into that, but this dude was kind of all over the place, And he, but he funded these missions, and they were eventually were able to get some samples uh, from alleged Yeti hair, which we'll talk about later.
0: I love that. What a fun way to spend that oil money.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was a super smart dude. He was an advocate of He was an advocate of world peace. He patented uh, this really crazy way to basically build concrete floors. He would like build them all on ground level and use hydraulics to lift them up into place. So he was a smart guy, really rich, and was just like blowing his money on Yeti expeditions.
0: I love it. I'm here for it.
1: So in 1959, supposed Yeti feces were collected by one of Slick's expeditions. Fecal analysis found a parasite which could not be classified.
0: Oh, shit. Yeti had a
1: butt worm. The United States government thought that finding the Yeti was likely enough to create three rules for American expeditions searching for it. One, obtain a Nepalese permit. Two, do not harm the Yeti except in self-defense. Three, let the Nepalese government approve any news reporting on the animal's discovery.
0: Wow, so people were—it was so common for people to leave the states and go to Nepal searching for the Yeti that there were rules that were established by the United States government. Is that what, what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. That's crazy. Yeah,
1: it was—it's was like Yeti was hot for a minute. <laughs> Uh, in 1959, actor James Stewart, while visiting India, reportedly smuggled the so-called Pangbalchi hand by concealing it in his luggage when he flew from India to London. So it's, people were really, really into the Yeti.
0: Not cool, James.
1: Yeah, not, That's not great. super
0: not cool. Not we're actually great. going to talk about that missing <clears throat> hand later on. Uh,
1: in 1960, Sir Edmund Hillary again mounted the 1960 to 61 Silver Hut expedition to the Himalayas, which was to collect and analyze physical evidence of the Yeti. Hillary borrowed a supposed Yeti scalp from the Kumjung Monastery, then himself and Kumjo Chumbi, the village headman, brought the scalp back to London, where a small sample was cut off for testing. Marsha Burns made a detailed examination of the sample of skin and hair from the margin of the alleged Yeti scalp and compared it with similar samples of the cerro, blue bear, and black bear. Burns concluded the sample was probably made of the skin of an animal, closely resembling the sampled specimen of cerro, but definitely not identical with it possibly a local variety, a race of the same species, or a different but closely related species. And we're going to see this again and again with the Yeti. Someone says they have something, turns out maybe it's not what they thought it was.
0: It's just something that's common and native to the area that they're unfamiliar with. Ex-
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so mighty wide of them to make that Yeti assumption. <laughs> that's
0: mighty wide of you.
1: Mighty wide. Now, what is crazy to me is if you go search Sero S-E-R-O-W, the southern cerro specifically is the one I looked at. It they all look very, very weird looking. Very unique They're, they're not for something sure. that we have on the North American continent, really. No,
0: I was not aware of the cerro until doing this research. Um, the Japanese ones are so cute.
1: Yes, they <laughs> are fluffy. The southern cerro is terrifying. It is like it almost looks like a a wildebeest, but with a dog face. It is genuinely pretty creepy looking to me. It seems like something that like would. Come out of like a pentagram.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent, kind of demonic.
1: Yeah, it looks weird, doesn't it? And <laughs> I like there's... how I just
0: used that was completely conflicting. One hundred percent, kind of demonic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I guess. But yeah, they have like no fur up until what I would what I would call their mane, I guess, and then they have fur up to their face, and their face is also hairless, and it looks like a dog, and it has two horns very closely together on the very top of its head. It is. Crazy looking, in like big uh, cow ears or wildebeest ears. Really, really strange looking. It's
0: not hairless per se. It's just very close cut. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, we'll say that. Anywho. Uh, so
0: they think, though, that that hair or that that um, quote-unquote Yeti scalp might have actually just been Sarah Hide? Yes. Gotcha. Or
1: at least the hair inside it was.
0: Understood. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, up until the 1960s, belief in the Yeti, like we can see here, it was relatively common. Uh, in Bhutan in 1966, a stamp was made honor the creature, and that's really the last really good information I have found about the yeti after that era. There's I a couple, that too, though. Yeah, <laughs> the
0: Bhutanese stamp. Yeah, it's so I had that wonderful too. stamp. Now,
1: th- I mean, there's really not like a ton after that, which at least not that like I was able to easily access. Right? What I did find, though, was one intimate encounter with a yeti in Western Siberia in 1988. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So a Soviet scientist at the time claimed that during an expedition where the team overnighted in a cabin, they were awoken by a strange commotion going on outside. They went outside and found what they described as a six foot seven inch creature covered in fur with intimidating red eyes. Only sixteen feet away from them, the creature was scared off when the researcher's dog began barking and chasing it into the night.
0: It's a ballsy dog.
1: Yeah, very ballsy. Uh dogs don't care. No, They'll they chase don't. anything. They'll I chase know. anything. I bet it was a very small dog too. Being in a research station. But that's like the last big encounter. And I mean, obviously, you can go back into like the, like shortly after, I think it was 2011, the Indian army claimed to have found Yeti prints in the Himalayas. Oh my God, I
0: remember that. Yeah.
1: Uh, Russia has several times said that they've got definite proof that the Yeti exists in Siberia and stuff like that. But every time that's happened, most people have been like, I mean, even to the Indian Army, they were like, you are making a national embarrassment of yourself. You need to stop.
0: Come on. It's so much fun, though. Just let them have
1: fun there in the military. If they want to take pictures and go, is this the Yeti? We don't know. Just let them. Right. Just let them. Let people have fun.
0: Let people have fun, man. Leave us
1: alone. Leave the Indian Army alone. Just
0: let them look for the Yeti. It's harmless.
1: So as with most cryptids, there are many alleged pieces of evidence that turn out to be false. And unfortunately, this has been the case with just about anything provided that supported the existence of the Yeti. Now, we could spend hours talking about all the different hair and poop and bones that have been thrown at scientists throughout the century, but they're simply too much. But during the 1950s, three alleged Yeti scalps at Peng Kumjung, which two names we've already talked about, and Nam Chet Bazaar attracted a lot of attention. So we talked briefly about this story, but the rest of it comes to us via cryptidarchives.fandom.com. So, on October 9th of 1953, four Indian mountaineers, Charles Evans and Professor Führer Hemmendorf, were the first outsiders to see the Pangbotch Scalp. The llamas of the Pangbotch Temple claimed the scalp, which was shaped like a traditional depiction of a yeti's head, was more than 300 years old, as evidenced by the loss of hair on top. It was photographed, and hair samples were taken and sent to experts. I love this part. The Daily Mail sent an expedition in 1954 that also discovered a similar specimen, hairier and apparently younger, in the monastery at Kumjung, and yet another scalp in a temple at Namche Bazaar, which was quickly identified as a crude imitation of the other two scalps. Aww. So the newspaper was sent an expedition. You could just do that back then. It's crazy. I love it. Yeah, um, and it's the Daily Mail. Like, uh, yeah, what What are you doing? N- newspaper business was booming, I guess. This had money to throw. Um, yeah,
0: it was the 50s. Yeah, we got to get that
1: Yeti information now. I need it on my desk tomorrow.
0: <laughs>
1: Various expeditions removed hairs from all three scalps in order to try and verify that these were truly Yeti skulls. And like we said, those included some of the expeditions by Tom Slick. Everyone who examined the penguin. Just
0: to clarify, sorry, you just... I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be a stinker. But you just said skulls, but you mean scalps, right? Yes, yeah, sorry, okay. scalps.
1: Yeah, these are just scalps. They look like coconuts. Everyone who examined the Peng, Botch, and Kumjung scalps concluded that they were single pieces of skin with no traces of stitches or glue and comparisons of the exported hairs with those of various other animals yielded no matches. However, not everyone was convinced of the scalps' veracity, especially in Nepal itself. And Peter Byrne, a member of Tom Slick's expeditions, wrote, quote, It was... It was notorious all over southern Nepal that the Kumjung scalp was a fake and had been made some 12 to 15 years before by a Tibetan taxidermist out of jealousy of the llamas at Bangbach. So they were just jealous. And so they were like, we'll make our own skull. Well, It'll be we've better got than our yours. Own scalp. Exactly. It's weird to hear about llamas being jealous of one another.
0: Yeah, that doesn't seem really zen.
1: You know, it's not, but at the same time, it is because they are humans and uh, they have, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, it's just like uh Ram Dass being caught outside the pornography theater by yes. his followers. And he's like, hey, I'm kind of busy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm being a human so, right now. you know now. what? It's can okay. You, can we not? If a
1: llama can be jealous, it's okay to have feelings, guys.
0: Aw, mm. that's a sweet uh, message, Jack.
1: Thank you. You I, need to
0: say it one more time. Like,
1: It's okay to have feelings, everyone.
0: No, no. One more time. The whole, if a llama, that's oh, a good, I'm okay, going like, to okay. quote you on <clears throat> that Sound bite. the future. Sound bite. Sound Ready? Bite. Go.
1: If a llama can be jealous, it's okay for you to have feelings
0: beautiful and that's like a dolly llama not like an animal llama not like a pajama llama llama
1: <laughs> no it's what a that
0: song? Llama, llama.
1: Pajama, llama 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 i don't know
0: no nope. <laughs> no i
1: don't know what that is
0: llama 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 pajama llama mama llama i don't There's know llama i'm sorry song. it's the llama song a lot of a lot of thing. a lot of songs pop up when you look up llama song yeah i bet President Obama Llama? Uh, no. No. Okay. I challenge you listeners if you know what I'm talking about. Is this it? Because it was Llama Llama Duck?
1: We've lost control of the podcast.
0: <laughs> this isn't it, but it's I also somehow so know this as well. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm sorry. The llama
1: can be jealous. (laughs) You can play the llama song. Thank you. And not feel bad about it.
0: It's not even the right one. That's so unsatisfying. Okay.
1: Okay. We got to get, let's get back to this. It was Sir Edmund Hillary who was given permission to take the Kumjung scalp to experts in Chicago, Paris, and London, including cryptozoologist Bernard Heuvelmans, who had already examined photographs of the Pengbotch and Kumjung scalps. Initially, a closer examination of the scalps showed that it had every appearance of being genuine, due to the arrangement of the hair tracks, an arrangement found only on the crown of the head. However, after being able to see the skin up close, Wevelmans was also reminded of the mane of the southern sroo, terrifying creature, which he had seen in the Amsterdam Zoo prior to the Second World War, and which had a relative found in Nepal. It was a very rare animal and was not represented in the Paris Natural History Museum, and its hairs had therefore not been available for comparison to the scientists who had examined the scalp hairs. So, yeah, they didn't really have access to this strange creature, so maybe they weren't able to figure out why. They weren't sure why they couldn't figure out what the hairs were. Yeah,
0: they had nothing to compare it to, exactly. so they said, okay, yeah.
1: Eventually, Huevelmans found a specimen in Brussels, and by comparing its hair with those on the scalps, found that the alleged scalp was indeed composed of sarow hair. The scalps were more like wigs made by stretching the skin from the neck of the Nepalese sero over a mold. Weird.
0: I know this whole this whole story is so strange. It's so Thinking strange. About people Think of the money playing with hides to make a fake Yeti scalp.
1: Think of the money spent by these rich English and American people to just figure out what's going on with the Yeti. What was they were obsessed. Definitely. You cannot like. There's. It's like the world is so boring now. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I just wish I could have been throwing millions of dollars at someone to go. Yes, this is this is the hair of a sero. And then you have to go to Brussels to find a sero.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It's just it's extravagant and I love it.
0: Yeah, um, we can't they, there was no googling. It was all uh, self-discovery. Mm-hmm.
1: The arrangement of the hair tracks, which it seemed to suggest that the skin came from the crown of a head, were explained by Ivan T. Sanderson, who discovered that after some experimentation that Quote, if a moistened pelt is much stretched over a hat-shaped mold, it would produce a sort of landslide in the layers of skin. The hair tracks no longer lie at their original angle, but point in the direction in which the skin has been stretched. Ugh, it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a weird experiment. He's like, just, I'll take more skin now, please. (laughs) (laughs) So, although the scalps were fake, it doesn't appear like the scalps were made to deliberately hoax outsiders. The llamas at Namcha Bazaar may have created their scalp out of jealousy of the Pangboch and Kumjung llamas. And the Kumjung llamas, in turn, were widely believed to have been jealous of the scalp at Pangboch. The Pangboch scalp, however, is more of a mystery, as the llamas there had nobody to be jealous of.
0: <laughs>
1: we don't know why they did it. Um, but Huevelmans, the father of cryptozoology, actually has a really good uh, idea. He suggested that it... It had originally been created as a prop for actors who represented the Yeti in ritual dances, which was evidenced by holes along the top and the side, possibly for fasteners and prayer flags. Really great example, yeah. or really great explanation, excuse me, of what this could have been, and it just, like, the over the centuries, its true origin got lost. And so, over time, they just, uh, they were like, yeah, what is this thing, uh, that's the Yeti scalp. <laughs> That was it. And they're like, oh, okay.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's real then. Yeah, totally real.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Things just get lost at times. Uh, This is such a weird story. Um, Donald Troll wrote that these Yeti scalps were no more deceptive than the sugary pastry we figuratively call a bear claw.
0: (laughs) I love this theory, though. (laughs) It's so innocent. It's just so innocent. It's like they literally, it's like...
1: Yeah, it was a beautiful it, like prop for some sort of ritual, and at some point the ritual stopped, and it someone was like, "Oh, that's it," and they said it. They just got it. tucked they, away they, in a box. They might. They, I would. I I pictured like they went up and they just put it on like a corner of a room, and just no one, everyone forgot about it, and yeah. eventually everyone someone that knew said, about What's it was that gone. Over there? Yeah, and they were like, "That must be a Yeti scalp." Um. Well, today, it is generally accepted that the Yeti isn't so much a cryptid as it is just a bear, which is unfortunately, yeah. Um, womp, womp. There's just not been a lot of concrete evidence supporting the actual idea of the Yeti. The famous photos of Eric Shipton portraying the Yeti footprint were indeed found to be no more than an Asian black bear, also known as a tree bear or a moon bear. So you've probably seen one of these. Who's uh, this? Uh, scientists.
0: Pshaw.
1: Yeah, we, you know, we know how everyone feels about them. Uh, <laughs> 70 million oh, of us at honey, least. Oh, honey, relax. We love the scientists. <laughs> I love them.
0: It's fine. I also love I love science and I love cryptids, so it's just sometimes no, it, we butt heads. They it's do. Okay. It's, it's
1: very hard to want to believe some of this stuff when someone is going, actually.
0: Actually. I
1: love my scientist friends. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a moon bear, I'm sure you've seen them, though. They've got the really big, billowy mane. They look like a black bear, but their mane is really thick, and they've got that crescent on their chest when they stand up. Um, And that is, yeah, that's a black bear, an Asian black bear. But uh, it's still badass, but no cryptid by any means. The reasoning behind this is actually fairly simple. Uh, So we're back to Daniel Taylor. Daniel Taylor spent about 50 years of his life trying to figure out an explanation to the Yeti. So he spent a lot of time uh, not only looking at photos and pictures, but actually traveling to Nepal. Cool. And it's very cool. So he explains it like this. Quote, a local hunter I worked with said he thought what I'd found was a tree bear. I'd never heard of a tree bear in this region. Suddenly, we had an explanation for where the thumb came from. A bear that lives in a tree forces an inner digit down so it can make an opposable grip. Normal bears cannot make an opposable grip, but if you're spending a lot of time in the tree, you train that one thumb to grab a branch or break bamboo. So I spent two years trying to figure out whether it was a species, subspecies, or a juvenile bear. So, uh, once again, science coming through with a, honestly, it's a pretty cool explanation. Uh, the so, fact they
0: think it's a different species of bear?
1: They think it's a subspecies. It, well, they don't know. Um, okay. It's, it could just, it's an adaption to where they're at. It's because they're living in trees, they're forcing that digit down to hold on and cling. So, it's not really a thumb, but it's like a pseudo-thumb that they've created by just living in the trees. And so, that's where we're getting that thumbprint in the, the pictures.
0: Right. But are they finding a lot of bears in trees?
1: Well, and that, I think that's what he's not certain of. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but That was his best explanation. Yeah, and he's not certain if those bears are a different species. So, like I said, Daniel Taylor actually is, a once again, super duper interesting person. He's had a huge impact on the entire Nepalese region of the Barron Valley and spent a bunch of time there trying to understand the idea of the Yeti. He saw the raw, wild, natural beauty of the area and was eventually instrumental in making sure the valley was protected. And actually, through his work and the work of a bunch of other people, today it is a nationally protected area, becoming the Makalu Barun National Park. Cool. Yeah, super cool. So basically, the king of Nepal told him to go to this valley to look for the Yeti because he considered it one of the last wild places in Nepal. Wow. Um, yeah, and there were people from both China and Nepal encroaching upon the area and so he was able to work with local communities and get them involved in the conservation of it and eventually it turned its it was able to turn into a national park. Uh through Nepal and China working together. Oh, so it's I love cool. That. It's a really cool story. So that's he, what you like to see. Well, yeah. So he did something like very concrete and real in his search for the Yeti. It was really awesome. Cool guy. So Taylor isn't the only one who holds this belief about Bigfoot's cold cousin. According to blog.nature.org, take this with a grain of salt, the Yeti has received maybe the most attention of any cryptid in actual peer-reviewed scientific journals, appearing in articles in Oryx, Proceedings of the Royal Society B*, and Molecular Phylogenetics and Evolution. Now, two recent studies, both published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B*, may finally mark an end to this attention from the scientific community. In 2014, 30 hair samples that were considered to be from a Yeti were analyzed, and scientists concluded that all genetic evidence analyzed from purported Yeti specimens actually came from a wide range of known animals.
0: See, this doesn't... To me, this doesn't necessarily disqualify the existence of the Yeti. Just no, the it existence doesn't. of the Yeti scalps.
1: Well, in, in, but in the same... But it's not only... It's not just the scalps. Um, people claim they bring feces. They bring uh, strange hairs that they find and stuff to these people. And so, apparently, from what I've read, is all, uh, all of it has been used right now. But... You're right in saying that... Uh, that you could can't... just be
0: operator error. It doesn't necessarily mean that something doesn't exist. It just means that the people that are searching for it are picking up the wrong things.
1: Yeah, exactly, and that's the beauty of science. You can't disprove something just because you don't have proof. Same thing with Bigfoot, ghosts, any of these wonderful things. And that's Yeah,
0: why... you heard?
1: Yeah, and another paper from 2017 examined a re- more refined set of specimens and found that all but one came from bears. The outlier actually came from a dog, so even <laughs> more common... Uh, the authors conclude that the biological basis of the Yeti legend is local brown and black bears, and that evidence of the Yeti has been ran through numerous tests, including DNA comparisons, and no definitive proof of a Yeti has been found. It appears that, for now, we have no actual evidence of any sort of Yeti that truly exists. Although there may not be a literal wild man roaming the tallest peaks in the world, the idea of the Yeti isn't going anywhere. There are tons of various spiritual beliefs about the Yeti, each with its own unique take on the creature. And Emily did all the research for this next part, and I'm super excited to hear about it because I uh, was didn't look at it. I wanted it to be a surprise. I'm really excited for these stories.
0: You didn't look at it.
1: I, I it's for effect.
0: Okay, I wanted you to look at it so you could know if it, so I would know we would know if it was good.
1: It's great. I did look through it. It's these are great stories, everybody. Okay, they're, thank you. Yes, they are wonderful stories.
0: Long before the Yeti made its appearance in memoirs, reports, and logs, it was a well-known figure in the myths and folklore of several communities living in the Himalayas. The Yeti has been an integral part of Sherpa and Tibetan myth and religion. So, this next quote is from Sherpa and Yeti mythology. Long ago, there was a beast in our mountains, known to our forefathers as the Lomung, meaning in our language, mountain savage. Its cunning and ferocity were so great as to be a match for anyone who encountered it. It could always outwit our Lepcha hunters with their bows and arrows. The Lomung was said to live alone, or with very few of its kind, and it went sometimes on the ground and sometimes in the trees. It was only found in the higher mountains of our country. Although it was made very like a man, it was covered with long, dark hair, and was more intelligent than a monkey, as well as being larger." The people became more in number, the forests and wild country less, and the lomung disappeared. But many people say they are still to be found in the mountains of Nepal, away to the west, where the Sherpa people call them Yeti.
1: Wow, interesting! I love all these like old stories. And honestly, before we started doing this research, I never even thought that the Yeti could have been some sort of a spiritual being to the or like spiritual symbol to the people and the locals that live there for. You know, hundreds of years.
0: I think that we'll probably find that commonality in a lot of different cryptids.
1: Definitely. I, I really think His so, too. in relation to a
0: deity or yeah. a spirit.
1: It's, it's really cool. Uh, I don't know. Something about the yeti being like, so it's so mystical to begin with. and uh, But everyone seems to really be drawn to it, which also sort of brings in that spiritual touch.
0: So this next part's pretty interesting. Um, rumors about yeti mummies being preserved in remote Tibetan monasteries have abounded for centuries. Lama Lopin, who escaped to India with the Dalai Lama after the Chinese occupation of Tibet, claims to have come across a shriveled but relatively well-preserved body of a giant ape in the secret catacombs of the Sakya Monastery near Shigatse in western Tibet. Scrolls in the monasteries place them between animals and humans. According to Sherpa legend, they are the children of a Tibetan girl and a large ape, which could be the reason why they are believed to exist between the human and animal worlds.
1: Mm, okay, that's.
0: It sounds fucked up. <laughs> it
1: does. It's. I was. I was gonna say things. Sounds fucked but up. But I'm just like. Great.
0: <laughs> I see the smile. I really <laughs> think that there's um that that's probably a very loose translation. I think so. And I, I agree. And again, I think as we go further, we're gonna see that that quote unquote like large ape is really more representative of a god. Yeah. Okay.
1: A Zeus figure. Ah. No, more powerful.
0: Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Sherpas regard the children, and when I say children, I'm referring to that of the girl and ape, a.k.a. the Yeti, to be the bodyguards of Dolma, the female incarnation of Spionras Ziggs.
1: Ooh, very nice. Thank you. That's how you pronounce that? Yeah. Oh, wow, weird.
0: I know. Does not that does that help it's, at all?
1: Yeah, it's like, so the writing is C-H-E-N-R-E-Z-I-G. That is right. a Yeah, wow, crazy.
0: But in parentheses, it's Spionras Ziggs.
1: Yeah. I would not have guessed that. That would have been um, egg.
0: Which translates to one who looks with unwavering eye. Um, and that is the most revered of all Bodhisattva. So, th- again, the children are the bodyguards of the Dolma, who is the most revered of all Bodhisattva, uh, embodying the compassion of all of the Buddhas.
1: Cool. And if you remember from our Buddhism episode, Bodhisattvas are those on the path to enlightenment.
0: So, since Serpa's... Okay. <laughs> since i can't
1: say (laughs) it since sherpas since it's a hard one to say
0: since sherpas practice the nyingmapa uh sect of tibetan buddhism which nyingmapa literally translates to old school so it's like the first translation of buddhist texts cool and that's the so that's the the form of buddhism that some sherpas practice yeah um and it retains elements of the pre-buddhist what
1: Oh, it's bond religion. I remember, I just, it's cool that- like, You're pointing uh, and I think I've done something wrong. No, no. And you're just
0: getting excited. I, I totally, that is my, I got to reset okay. my brain. Yes. No, no, no. Just, what were you saying?
1: Oh, I just think it's really cool. That, like, uh, it's cool to see this stuff and I go, I, oh yeah, I remember that.
0: I know, I got, that's why, kind of why I included it as well. It's like, if you listen to our Buddhism episode, this might be familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this particular sect of Tibetan Buddhism- uh, retains elements of the pre-Buddhist Bon religion, and they believe that a person's soul moves to the body of non-human creatures after dying, um, which is why yetis are revered by the Sherpas.
1: Dang, okay. That's awesome. Really cool interpretation of a yeti.
0: Yeah, definitely. So Tibetans consider themselves to be descendants of Spyanra Ziggs, the Buddha of Compassion, in his incarnation as a monkey god. It is believed that the god married a demon, and out of this union came six children with long hair and tails. Slowly, the hair and tails disappeared due to the blessed grains they were fed. Some of the children, their texts say, inherited their father's qualities, and others those of their mother. So that's another explanation for the yeti. It's kind of it's a very similar, if not exact, story of the the girl and the
1: yeah mm-hmm. and the
0: ape, right? It's more of like a god and a, and a human or a god and a demon creating then the children which turn into the yeti the mani kabum an important 12th century religio-historical chronicle of tibet exemplifies shared kinship between humans and yetis according to the mani kabum tibet was once a giant lake that receded leaving behind forests animals and mountains the tibetan people were born on one of these mountains bordering the Yarlung valley this mountain was inhabited by a sinmo, or a female rock ogress, who was an incarnation of the Buddhist deity of Mercy, Drolma. Or excuse me, Skrolma?
1: I think that's right.
0: The ogress met a monkey who was an incarnation of the Buddhist deity of Compassion. That's right. Say it with me. Spionra Sigs. <laughs> <laughs> you got it? And the two mated.
1: What a sight that was. So,
0: rock ogress, monkey god. Just...
1: Smacking parts. let it on.
0: All right. Ah, babe. Um, so, again, they produced six hybrid monkey-human children who became the ancestors of the original six Tibetan clans. They were short and covered with hair, possessed flat red faces, stood erect, and perhaps had tails. Over generations, the progeny of the six clan ancestors evolved, becoming more human until they developed into the Tibetan people. According to Tibetan oral lore, however, some of these early ancestors did not fully evolve into humans and instead remained wild people, mirgad or yetis. In the Tibetan culture, yetis are unlike other non-human animals as they share ancestral kinship with humans, but yetis are not fully human either. Yetis are unlike other non-human animals as they share ancestral kinship with humans, but yetis are not fully human either. In the Kabam they reside in an ambiguous liminal space, being neither human nor non-human.
1: And it's like almost purgatory-esque.
0: It is, yeah. Weird. In the Buddhist textual standard derived from India, there is no intermediate realm between the human realm and the animal realm. Nonetheless, many pieces of Tibetan temple art depict a, quote, yeti realm, precisely as intermediate between humans and animals, perhaps reflecting the ancestral human yeti special kinship described by the Mani Kabum. In Tibetan Buddhism, some Dilkor, which are elaborate meditational artworks and vanka religious paintings in Buddhist temples, clearly depict a Yeti.
1: So yeah, that was uh that sounds pretty close to purgatory, but it's like not a bad purgatory, you're just a yeti.
0: Yeah, and it's not necessarily it's like a liminal space, but it's just that it's in between the animal period. and the human realm. Okay, that's what So wow, like if you think about wild. it and you were done with your human life, and you were either going to go to the animal realm or the yeti realm.
1: You're I like, feel like I'd go I'm to the yeti realm. I'm not fully ready to like, lay eggs.
0: <laughs> right? It's like, so, like,
1: great, you can go to the yeti realm. Yeah, yeah. just kind of get used to like pooping outside let Let's first.
0: just go, right. <laughs>
1: we'll ease you into this. <laughs> you learn how to poop outside, you eat berries, and then you go lay eggs. We're
0: going to make you a wild man first, and yeah. then you can be a wild animal.
1: <laughs> so the yeti also appears in so many more religions, huh?
0: It does. So this next story... Um, is The Legend of the Sangwadori and the Panjobi Gampa? Excuse me. The Legend of the Sangwadori and the Pong... Well, how did you say that one earlier? I
1: said Pongbot. Pongboch. Pongboch. But, you know, that's just my my mountain Appalachian tone coming through. I have no idea if that's how you say it. And once again, lots of uh, big Eastern words that I don't know how to pronounce were in this episode, so sorry if I messed all of them up.
0: In Tibetan Buddhist areas, people typically revere meditating hermits, like Sangwa Dore, and as a sign of religious devotion, freely offer them food and water in support of their retreats. But it was not a person who cared for Sangwa Dore. It was a yeti.
1: Oh, man. What a great picture. She's got a picture of a monk and a, ye- and a Yeti chilling by a fire or yeah, they're eating out of like, the same bowl like or they're, something. Yeah,
0: they're eating together. They're sharing a meal. It's
1: very cool. It's kind of like uh, those beef jerky commercials. <laughs> yeah,
0: but ancient. <laughs>
1: yes. So it was like, this is great.
0: So according to the legend, the Yeti regularly brought Sangwadori food, water, and fuel and even became his Buddhist disciple. When the Yeti died, Sangwadori retained the alleged scalp of the Yeti and this scalp, and a supposed yeti hand remained in the Pan- Panbochi Gampa, the monastery founded around the year 1667 by Sangwadori.
1: Oh, that's cool. Uh, so they're, they're connected in that way. And once so again, we're back at the, t- the monastery. So that's,
0: yes, exactly. I wanted to bring it back to the monastery and kind of give a little context to the original scalp um, yeah. and bring up the hand, which I think you referenced earlier. Um, For centuries afterwards, the Drogon Lamas, who are successors to Sangwai Dori's leadership, periodically would parade the Yeti scalp around the village in a fertility ritual to bless the people, animals, houses, and fields, a practice which continued until the lineage of the Drogon Lamas recently moved to India. The Yeti Hand was housed as a sacred relic of the monastery until it was stolen in 1999. So interestingly enough, you had referenced uh, James Stewart, an actor that had taken the hand to London. Yeah. In the 60s, late 60s. Yeah. He had actually only taken a finger. Oh, okay. According to the stories that I read, that he had, he had taken finger some finger bones and replaced replaced them with human finger bones. So Damn I don't you, think it James was until Stewart. I know what a fucker it wasn't until 30 years later when the the whole hand was stolen.
1: People cannot get enough of the yeti. Literally, it's, they took I know, the whole but hand.
0: Thieving like body parts is so morbid and gross.
1: It is, especially when like I don't know
0: from a. From a Buddhist monastery? Yeah. Bro, really? Bad, a lot
1: of bad karma. In
0: the late 60s, that's how you're going to be doing it? That's how we're going to be playing it? Yeah, that person was not here.
1: given the Yeti option when they transitioned.
0: He was not. Yeah. He was not given. Like you
1: will be a dung beetle. You
0: will be a beetle. That's yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. The ritual use of Yeti body parts is also found in prescriptions for Bond magical potions, which use Yeti blood.
1: Oh, cool.
0: I don't know how you're getting that Yeti blood. That but is
1: another religion that I would love to look more into. The, definitely. The, the two that split between Hinduism and Buddhism. Very, very cool.
0: As strange as it is to think that Yetis can be Buddhist practitioners, the story of Sangwadori is not isolated and other tales of religious Yetis exist. So this is when I was also gonna just very briefly mention the stamp, oh. <laughs> which we'll include in a it's very Instagram cool. post. It's, it's super cool. rad. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Way better than my Charlie Brown. Stamp. I would
0: love to get a letter with that stamp on it. I would cherish. I
1: that. bet we could. I wonder. I bet we could get some of those. Yeah, do you guys live? If you live in Bhutan,
0: <gasps> hey, you know I know some listeners in Bhutan. In the last month, we've had some listeners up in in Nepal and in India.
1: Yeah, please send if us. You guys could get us the Bhutan. Get, get stamp. in touch with us. I'd love to have one of these stamps or any version of a yeti stamp. I've seen a couple of Kyrgyzstan has one as well. And it's just the Yeti with skis and the Yeti enjoying the lake.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah. This one's much better. I do like
1: this one more. But the other ones would be just as wonderful to have.
0: See, this one to me looks like he's trying to do the test. Can you rub your belly (laughs) and pat your head at the same time? (laughs) And he says, oh, this is quite difficult for a Yeti. (laughs) But I think I can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So this next legend is called The Grateful Yeti, and it was one of my favorites. Where is it from? It's also in Tibet. This story is quite common, possessing several variants across Himalayan communities. In this legend, a Tibetan Buddhist yogi wandered through the mountains. Then one day, he was crippled by an attack of gout. Not the gout! I know! The gout! It's going to get you. And he was unable to walk He established himself in a pleasant place at the edge of the forest where he found some goats, who eventually followed him everywhere like pets. Nice. There he remained. On the other side of the hill were some abandoned shacks. Every day he would see a huge dark man coming and going between the shacks and the river. Apart from this, there was no other sign of life. One week, he no longer noticed his strange neighbor on his daily walk. Having become intrigued by that mysterious man and feeling a bit better, the yogi decided to investigate the man's dilapidated dwelling. Inside, the yogi was startled to come face to face with a migo, or wild man, as Tibetans call the yeti. The what is that word?
1: I would just skip it because I've. What is that word? Behemoth.
0: What is that word? Hirsut. 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 That's what it's called.
1: What does it mean? Harry. Ah, Harry.
0: Okay, we know it now. The hirsut behemoth was lying outstretched on the floor, eyes closed and fangs apart, seemingly unaware of the intrusion. He was feverish and obviously ill. One of the yeti's feet was grossly swollen and full of pus. The yogi immediately noticed protruding from the infected area of that vast foot a sharp splinter of wood that could easily be removed. He thought, I know he can jump up and devour me at any moment, but now that I have come this far, I might as well try to help the poor creature. While he gently extracted the long splinter, the yeti, aware that the llama was helping him, lay as still as a patient etherized upon an operating table. The kindly yoga The kindly yoga cautiously clean The kindly yoga cautiously <laughs> That's a hard one too It's a hard one The kindly yogi cautiously cleaned away the pus, using his own saliva as a salve.
1: Hey, hey, I'm gonna clean Puh. Puh. Don't look Puh. 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 It's re- <laughs> gonna work great. Or I'm or, the best doctor in this. village. Was it village. like
0: this? Was it like this?
1: Uh oh. <laughs> He said, "Trust me. I'm the best doctor in this forest." <laughs> oh no! You have to do what I say. <laughs> oh
0: God! Then he bandaged the bizarre foot with a rag torn from his own clothing. On tiptoe, he left the yeti, returning to his goats, which were tied to a tree in the forest. Days afterward, he saw the yeti limping down to the river, presumably for water. Then slowly returning to his house. Eventually, the creature's gait improved to the point where he could walk without difficulty. Miraculously enough, the yogi's crippling gout also began to subside, so that his painful stride began to return to normal, until he, too, was completely cured. After that, he no longer saw the yeti. One day, the ferocious yeti suddenly leaped down like a giant gorilla from the trees, grimaced at the yogi, then sprang back into the trees and was gone.
1: He's like, hey, that that spit thing you did wasn't that cool, but thanks. (laughs)
0: A few days later, the same thing happened, but this time, the yeti was carrying a dead tiger on his shoulder. Placing the magnificent carcass in front of the lama, as if in a token of his gratitude, he again bounded off into the dense jungle. The yogi did not wish to eat the meat, but he skinned the beautiful beast with meticulous care. Eventually, upon his return to the Sheshen Monastery, he offered the splendid tiger skin to the monastery for use during tantric rites.
1: Cool, yeah, so so good, tantric, tantric. baby. Tantric, I just literally. a tiger skin's very appropriate for that type of thing. That was a cool story. Um, it very I have more. well. It reminds me of uh, that story, the African, the Aesop's fable about the lion and the mouse. You know, what I'm talking about the lion had the thorn in its yes, paw, and the very mouse comes much up. So. It's a very similar story. Well,
0: and then there's a story in the Bible as well. Yeah,
1: it's the, almost like of, uh, um, it's almost like there's some story that predates all these stories, and as it split apart, the theme remained the same. Hmm. I don't know man. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's the,
0: pretty that's pretty yeah. wild. That's
1: just the weed talking, man.
0: <laughs> but yeah, very similar to some some ancient some other some other familiar legends.
1: Yeah. Also, it's super interesting to me that most of these stories describe the Yeti as like nice and they kind of here to help us navigate our lives in some way.
0: Well, it's actually interesting um, that you would say that because the next little bit that I had was talking about the Yeti being used as a, an omen. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. All right, um, scratch.
1: Forget I said scratch. that.
0: Scratch it. Um, many Himalayan people consider a great mountain in their vicinity to be the abode of their local Yulha or local deity. In fact, in Tibetan folk belief, great mountains are deities who happen to appear as mountains. Such Yulha deities reward the local community for their good behavior and discipline it for their negative behavior, thus keeping in order social groups through various taboos and restrictions. It is widely thought that a displeased Yulha will distribute punishment by sending out a physical embodiment of the deity in the guise of a strong ape-like yeti. This mountain deity Yeti, as a continuation of the Raksha of Indian Hindu and Buddhist myth, enforced discipline by bringing illness, property damage such as crop destruction or depredation of livestock, or even human death.
1: Jeez. Uh, this all is right. why...
0: Sorry. <laughs> I know, right?
1: Never... Yeah. Not so nice, I guess.
0: Not not as nice. Um, this is why, among the many Buddhist artworks of the revered Drapang Monastery in Lhasa, Tibet... One finds a mural painting of a she yeti carrying a decapitated human corpse.
1: Well, that's a pretty intense little uh, painting we got going on there. A she yeti.
0: Yeah, she seems pretty pleased with herself, too.
1: Yeah, she bad. She bad. (laughs) She bad. Well, okay Um, that's because uh,
0: mountain deity yetis function as keepers of community order, Himalayan people frequently regard hearing or seeing a Yeti as a bad omen, and some mountain dwellers may seek the aid of a Buddhist leader to dispel negative forces and accumulate merit if they have encountered a Yeti.
1: That's so weird because I mean, yeah, I guess that's the difference between the Eastern and the Western belief system around the Yeti. Is as a westerner, you see a yeti and go, That's cool.
0: You just think, yeah, this one—it's just this one version, this one story. It's the abominable stone man, and it's so much more than that.
1: Yeah, it—I mean, it really, truly is. I—I I didn't expect it to be in all these different religions. I definitely didn't, honestly, didn't expect the bad omen thing there at the end as well. That's pretty—I mean, that's crazy.
0: So now try to picture like those yeti shrieks and think of it in that mindset.
1: Yes, and you know, I—it was creepy. After going through all this stuff, I also. I also think about the thought of like manifesting something like this through belief, right? And the same oh, thing. Like like, a tulpa. Well yeah, and like the idea of like UFO is a tulpa, right? If enough mm-hmm. people believe in it, it's going to manifest itself. So it, that's an interesting concept to me that like maybe what these people are seeing are some sort of a manifestation or topa of uh, of what they feel like is, you know, bad energy.
0: Right, right. It's or like, good energy, or they've I They've manifested guess. a consequence. Yeah. Yeah, interesting.
1: It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, so much. We could it's, just the take it are deeper and really... deeper. Sorry, yeah. that was me
0: trying to do Chad's voice. <laughs> <I> <laughs> deeper it, and deeper. There we
1: go. <laughs> Well, it's a cool concept because obviously, like I don't know, of all the cryptids, I mean, this one is one of the harder ones to pin down, right? It's not really. There's not a lot of evidence. There's not. You. It's. It's so high up in the mountains. There's not everyone up there is able to pull out their cell phone and videotape something that they think is a Yeti. Exactly. Like you can with a Bigfoot or a lizard man or a UFO, and so evidence is scant. But the belief. And like the allure that has drawn people to the Yeti for a really long time now is there.
0: Yeah. Um, And it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. Exactly. Yeah. So with all this information in mind, I think it's important to remember that stories of the Yeti are numerous and keep us humans enthralled with the notion that there is something out there in the woods and mountains. We want very much to believe in these types of creatures. The mystery surrounding them is dense and fascinating and keeps people coming back to the idea of what if. We cannot say for sure there is no Yeti simply because we haven't found the right piece of evidence yet. But for now, the Yeti remains an enigma to the human race. An icy spirit forever wandering a realm few of us will ever get to inhabit.
1: That's the Yeti, everybody. Yay! I really enjoyed that.
0: I did, too. That was,
1: that was a really fun episode. I, I learned really a whole lot it about be, it's a bunch of cool concepts.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Say that again. No, uh,
1: I just, I really enjoyed this episode. It was really cool to learn just about all the different aspects of this thing that now we consider a cryptid, but it's so much more than that.
0: I uh, Yeah, I mean, I honestly thought it was going to be a much more, like, shallow story.
1: I did, too. Like, I saw the Yeti. But yeah. it wasn't that at all. There's very little of that in there. Definitely, you know, and, but it's like the people that it surrounded it, the idea it was surrounded by, it's just really crazy to me. Like it was all these like premier mountain climbers and famous people and like entrepreneurs just going out there for some reason, everyone was drawn to it. Yeah. It's a really crazy story.
0: No, it's super neat. It's it is. Super neat. It is.
1: And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much. For listening to this episode, we seriously appreciate it. Uh, That's
0: right. We got some other cool episodes coming your way, so keep an eye out for those, Um, you guys. We got some, some, uh, what, what would you say, seasonal, seasonal, yeah, like, seasonal. I favorites. would say
1: winter themed.
0: I yeah. Well, we got some, we got some, and some. Got I some guess seasonal, some season- Honestly, I haven't looked at your the, the planter
1: in a while. So I don't even know what's next.
0: Yeah, we got some good stuff coming down the line. So cool. so keep an eye out for that. Um, Yay.
1: Guys, if you want to get in contact with us, if you have any questions or comments or stories you'd like to share with us, you can email us at thelrhshow at gmail.com.
0: That's right. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore LRH underscore pod.
1: Or, like we mentioned earlier, you can check us out on Patreon and get access to that Discord where we're going to be posting lots of pictures, videos, all sorts of crazy stuff. It's starting to feel in really nicely, guys, Uh, and we're going to be posting some extra stuff on Patreon as well, Uh, Emily's decorating tips, cooking ideas, and stuff like that. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the LRH podcast.
0: Oh, and one more thing. Um, You guys can also find us on Facebook at The LRH Pod. I've seen you guys trickling through there. Don't think I'm forgetting about you. We really appreciate the love.
1: Yeah, and uh, also, last, last thing. If you want to interact with me a little bit more, I stream Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday on Twitch at 8 p.m. till midnight, 1 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Come say hello. I play lots of horror survival games. And when I want to de-stress, I play Stardew Valley. So please come in and chat if uh, you'd like to really get some interaction. That'd be great. I'd love love to see you there. You can find me on Twitch at weary underscore TTV.
0: All right. I think that covers it.
1: That is. We're getting better at it.
0: We're getting better at it, but every time it's a long list.
1: It definitely is. Thank you guys. Once again, we're happy to be back. We hope you had a great Thanksgiving again and that you're surviving now that you're back at work. But we'll be back again next week with another great episode. So, as always,
0: thanks for joining us on The
1: Long Road Home. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. i smell
0: you later.